Welcome to Bladder Buzz, the podcast where doctors, researchers, and consumers discuss bladder health and function for those with neurogenic bladder. On today's episode, we welcome Dr. Suzanne Groh and Dr. Mandy Rounds to discuss urinary symptom management. And now, Bladder Buzz. Dr. Mandy Rounds, a research scientist at MedStar Health Research Institute and MedStar National Rehabilitation Hospital in Washington, D.C. Joining me today is Dr. Suzanne Grow, who is a physical medicine and rehabilitation physician with a subspecialty in spinal cord injury medicine and project director of the Rehabilitation Research and Training Center at MedStar National Rehabilitation Hospital. Thanks for joining me today, Dr. Grow. Thanks for having me. Today, we're gonna talk about urinary symptoms in a new tool we have developed, the Urinary Symptom Questionnaire for Neurogenic Bladder. Dr. Grill, let's dive right in. Can you tell me what you see clinically when you have patients with neurogenic bladder? Specifically, how do they self-manage urinary symptoms from developing into a urinary tract infection? Well, that's a big question, so I'll break it up. Let's start with urinary symptoms. Unfortunately, many of my patients experience urinary symptoms fairly frequently. This ends up being a big part of their life. I know these symptoms are bothersome and they're really disruptive to their lives. So people learn really quickly to sense what their unique and individual urinary symptoms are and how to address them so they don't progress into something worse, like a urinary tract infection or even a kidney infection. The most common symptoms I hear about are changes in their urine, like cloudier or smellier urine, or sometimes people tell me um, they have sediment in their urine. People also might experience more spasticity, incontinence or you know, urine leaking, a need to catheterize more frequently, or even a condition called autonomic dysreflexia in which someone's blood pressure might rise and they may get a headache, back pain, and many other symptoms. So those are what I hear about from the symptoms. Now you asked about management too. People learn very quickly, not only about their symptoms, but how to manage them and how to decrease their symptoms. So one thing that they commonly do is drink more fluid. In this way, it actually works oftentimes that people can wash out whatever is happening in their bladder that's creating their symptoms. But of course, when you drink more fluid, then you produce more urine and you have to go to the bathroom or catheterize more frequently. So drinking more fluid often works, but there's a side effect to it and people need to adjust to that as well. My patients also do other things. They take a variety of supplements and these might range from cranberry pills to cranberry juice to vitamin C to other over-the-counter approaches uh, such as painkillers to reduce some of the bladder irritation they may be feeling when they're experiencing urinary symptoms, probiotic pills, D-mannose, and many others. Okay, so you brought up supplements, which I know can be a bit controversial. Can you talk a bit about the efficacy of supplements used for urinary symptoms? Yes. There have been a few research trials looking at the efficacy of some of the supplements that I mentioned above. The problem is that when these studies have been conducted, the studies have 
largely been smaller studies or there have been limitations in the design of the studies. What this means is there's a limited ability to interpret the results of the studies. The bottom line is that there's not a real convincing body of evidence supporting any of these supplements as an approach to reduce urinary symptoms, reduce the occurrence of UTI, and certainly not to treat UTI instead of antibiotics. But one thing is really important to note. Just because a body of research evidence does not exist yet, that does not mean that the supplement doesn't work. It just means that we don't know yet and it hasn't been proven. So we may learn in the future with bigger research trials or a little better designed research trials that some of these supplements do have a proven effect, but we're just not to that point right now. So I like to listen to my patients and many, many times my patients will tell me, this supplement works, this supplement doesn't work. And if something works for someone, then I'm not going to change that. I'm going to stick with it. And also, I try to listen to all of the different supplements or approaches that work for my patients and kind of share that with other patients. So it's, we have a little bit of a community trying to impact these urinary symptoms. Also, regarding the supplements, for some of these, theoretically, it may make sense that they may have some protection against UTI. All of this has to be balanced with cost, too. You know, is the cost of the supplement worth it? And are there any risks to the supplements? Because that's a very real concern. Just because it's a supplement doesn't mean it's totally safe. For example, many people use cranberry, but cranberry comes in several forms. It comes in a juice form and it comes in a pill form. The juice form has a lot of sugar in it, which many people don't need but also some of that sugar may help the bacteria in the bladder grow and may actually make the condition worse. So I find that many clinicians specifically regarding cranberry may recommend the pill in favor of the juice for those reasons. This example also shows that it's complicated and quite honestly, we don't know all that much about the potential benefits of these supplements regarding urinary symptoms and UTI. So what prompted you to come up with the idea of focusing on only urinary symptoms? Well, when we started this line of research about 10 years ago, our original goal, which is still our long-term goal, is to reduce urinary tract infection among people with neurogenic bladder. And when we started down the path and did our first few research studies, we quickly realized that for people with neurogenic bladder, we don't really have universally accepted standard diagnosis for urinary tract infection. So what I mean by that is the key requirements for a diagnosis for urinary tract infection are threefold. The presence of symptoms, the presence of an inflammatory reaction in the bladder, and that's usually white blood cells visible on urinalysis. And then the third is enough bacterial growth, which is measured on urine culture. The problem is that among people with neurogenic bladder, there's typically some level of inflammation or white blood cells already in the bladder. So one of three criteria are usually positive most of the time when there's no urinary tract infection or urinary symptoms. And then we are also learning that the urine is not free from bacteria. Most people with neurogenic bladder also have bacterial growth on the urine culture. So two of the three criteria for urinary tract infection are typically present most of the time in people with neurogenic bladder. So we made 
some of these discoveries. Over the past few years, we've realized that before we can make a dent in urinary tract infection, we need to be able to better understand exactly what a UTI is and how we define it clinically. When we realized this, we then understood that we needed to go back to the beginning of UTI development. And what I mean by that is when a urinary health starts to change to urinary infection, there is likely a process or a gradual or not so gradual transition. There's likely a growing imbalance of the bacterial community that's naturally living in the bladder, which causes an increase in inflammation and new urinary symptoms. And that's the key, new urinary symptoms. With that understanding, we realize that we first need to understand urinary symptoms better and which urinary symptoms are more likely to lead to and be indicative of urinary tract infection which symptoms might be totally unrelated to urinary tract infection. Just because someone has a urinary symptom doesn't mean they have a urinary tract infection. And then, which combination of symptoms might be more worrisome for urinary tract infection or even other infection? So with this long journey that you've been on with urinary symptoms, eventually the urinary symptom questionnaire for neurogenic bladder were developed but there's different versions of that. Can you talk about the different versions and why these different versions were created? Yes, well, along the way, we've also realized that not all neurogenic bladder is the same. It's quite the opposite. There is a spectrum. And I'm going to quote Dr. Argie Stampus from Texas with this, but he says that every neurogenic bladder is unique like a snowflake. Understanding that, we tried to determine what characteristic likely makes a difference for the experience of urinary symptoms and also the likelihood of getting in the experience of urinary tract infections. So while it makes sense to us as clinicians and researchers to identify different kinds of neurogenic bladder by bladder function, for example, clinically we talk about overactive bladder, underactive bladder, or a combination of bladder dysfunction, that approach is not so obvious and sensible to patients. So we know that bladder management or the use of catheters influences urinary symptoms and urinary tract infection. We know that both patients and clinicians can easily identify with particular bladder management approaches. And we know that the type of bladder management can influence symptoms. So instead of developing one instrument that included all people with neurogenic bladder, even though they're experience of neurogenic bladder and their neurogenic bladder function might be very different. This, we realized, was not truly specific for all of these different types of neurogenic bladder. So we decided that it was best to develop three separate and distinct instruments for the three separate and distinct experiences of patients with neurogenic bladder. And what are those different versions? Those versions are a version for people who have neurogenic bladder but are able to void And what I mean by that is they void most of the time. Some people who void the majority of time may need to catheterize once a day or something like that, but they're still primarily voiders. So that's one. The second one is for people who use intermittent catheterization, and the third is for people who use indwelling catheterization. And that includes both urethral or Foley catheters or suprapubic catheters. Okay. And so how do the symptoms differ for each of these instruments? Well, As you can imagine, if someone voids or they use an intermittent catheter or they use an indwelling catheter, some of the symptoms they might experience might be the same, but some would have to be different. For example, uh, people who void will often feel an increased need to void or painful urination or 
increased frequency of urination, or incontinence. Obviously, someone with a Foley or suprapubic cath will likely not even be able to experience those symptoms or be very unlikely to experience those symptoms. I know that these instruments were developed for not just the patient to use, but a physician or researcher can use it too. Can you talk about how you envision each of these groups of people using the USQMB? First, let's talk about the patient. Yes. So let me give a little more background to the USQMB. So what they look like, since we can't see them on this podcast, is they are basically a list of the urinary symptoms that are most commonly experienced by people with neurogenic bladder who either void, use intermittent catheterization, or use indwelling catheterization. So you can use the instruments to monitor your symptoms. What we have done is we have categorized the symptoms into similar groups. So within a group, for example, bladder function symptoms or urine changes symptoms, the individual symptoms within the group we consider interchangeable or exchangeable. Now, people can use the USQMBs to monitor their symptoms. We've been told by patients that this is helpful. When they see that a certain symptom occurs frequently over a period of days or weeks, but it doesn't lead to UTI, then they realize that this is a symptom that may not be indicative of UTI on on its own or may be really responsive to some of the self-management techniques that we talked about earlier, and they don't get so concerned about it. Also, they may see that when certain symptoms occur at the same time, it's more likely to lead to UTI. So that's one way that patients can use it. Another way is in addition to categorizing the symptoms sort of in, as a checklist, we have also developed a decision-making algorithm. So if certain numbers of symptoms in certain categories or certain combinations of symptoms occur, then we have a loose recommendation that, well, perhaps you should see your clinician and get assessed for UTI, or perhaps you should see your clinician and get assessed for some other infection. Or the recommendation might be use self-management at home to try to reduce these symptoms. Or the recommendation might be continue to self-monitor. Great. Now, how do you picture a physician using the USQMB? Very, very similar. As I mentioned at the end, the patients can use it to help with their decision-making. Clinicians can use it the same way, to help with the decision-making. And we have a physician version for that reason. So again, if certain combinations of symptoms or certain numbers of symptoms in certain categories, then we have a, again, loose recommendation for the clinician to consider, again, work up for a urinary tract infection or work up for another infection or work up for urinary dysfunction, but not related to a UTI. Great. And lastly, how would a researcher use the USQMB? So the researchers will use the USQMB in a different way. When we enroll participants in research projects, they usually need to meet certain criteria, like need to be a certain age or living in the community or have urinary dysfunction and neurogenic bladder. Now, the USQMB can be used to help really refine the patient population. Like, for example, 
we might enroll patients in a project and they must have experienced three symptoms over the course of the last month or year or whatever. So that's one way that it can be used by a researcher. Another way is actually as an outcome measure. So as an example, someone might be enrolled in a research project that who experiences five of the urinary symptoms. And the goal of the research project is to reduce those urinary symptoms. So by the end of the project, perhaps we used an intervention and their urinary symptoms reduced from five in a certain category to zero. Is there a way that we can access this instrument? Yes, the instruments are available on our website. And so patients, clinicians, and researchers can access it there. Or you can Google MedStar USQNB. Thank you for telling us about the new urinary symptom questionnaires for neurogenic bladder and how to use these tools. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners? Well, I'd like to thank you for having me. This was fun. Um, If you want any more information, we have a variety of information in a variety of formats on our website. And you can Google MedStar Bladder Research. We also have other podcasts. And if you're interested in some of the other things we talked about, for example, the supplements, we're also going to be having future podcasts and information about those because I know a lot of my patients are very interested in that topic as well. Bladder Buzz is presented by the Rehabilitation Research and Training Center on Neurogenic Lower Urinary Tract Dysfunction. The information presented in this podcast does not express the views of the individual's employer or affiliated institutions. The content is for informational and reference purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, or as the sole source of guidance for decision-making. We advise you to always consult with a physician before making any healthcare decisions or for guidance about a specific medical condition. Thanks for listening. Come back soon.